Well, good morning, church. How's everybody doing today? Are you happy to be in church? Say amen. amen. I'm going to tell you something. We had a little issue with the sound uh, board this morning, and, and everybody was in an uproar. And I said, you know what? We worship before we ever had wires and speakers. It's amazing. And I came up the steps, and a man caught me right at the top of the steps. First thing this morning, said, I want to join the church. I want to be a part of Burlington Baptist Church. That's what we're here for. Somebody say amen. Yeah. What a great way to start off the service with baptisms and to be a part of that. If you're a guest here today, we hope that you've been made to feel welcome. We're honored that you chose to be with us. Of all the places in Boone County you could worship, you came to be with us. My name's Kent, and I'm the pastor. We've been doing a study over the last few weeks out of the book of Revelation. There's no S on that book, by the way. Uh, One thing you won't forget about that, I say that every week, don't I? Book of Revelation. So there's seven churches at the start of this book that, is, uh, this, that these letters are written to, there's some letters that are written to this, these churches. And we are looking today at the church of Thyatira. And so we want to look at this church. This is a little different uh, situation. My personal belief is that uh, these churches, these letters that were written to these guys, even though they're, they're old and they're, they're years past, there's principles in these churches that apply to us that were written to these churches. So here's the story. There's a guy named John. And he walked with Jesus. He was one of the disciples. And all of the disciples are gone except him. And because of his faith, he was exiled to an island called Patmos. And he was out there on this island of Patmos, all by himself, upwards of 90 years old. And the revelation of Jesus Christ comes to him. And he writes this down, what we're going to read. So we're going to go to this this chapter. Pull that up for me, will you? The the second chapter of the scriptures that we're going to read. And here's what it says. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Thyatira. This is the message from the Son of God. Notice he doesn't say one of the sons of God. Or, you know, he says the Son of God. This is the message. And his eyes are like flames of fire, whose feet are like polished bronze. I know all the things you do. I've seen your love, your faith, your service. Wow, they're pretty good, right? And your patient endurance. And I can see your constant improvement in all of these things. But, now I don't know about you guys, but I hate it when a conversation goes like this, like, especially when I'm talking to my wife, and we're going along, and she's saying, you know, you did this, you, but, that's never good when it starts off with that, you know, here's what he says, but I have this complaint against you, you are permitting that woman, that Jezebel who calls herself a prophet, to lead my servants astray. She teaches them to commit sexual sin and to eat food offered to idols. I, give, I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to turn away from her immorality. Therefore, I will throw her on a bed of suffering, and those who commit adultery with her will suffer greatly unless they repent and turn away from her evil deeds. I will strike her children dead, when, then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches out the thoughts and the intentions of every person. And I will give to each of you whatever you deserve." But I also have a message for the rest of you. There's another, but I also have in Thyatira. Who have not followed this false teaching, deeper truths as they call them, depths of Satan actually. I will ask nothing more except that you hold tightly to what you have until I come. Now watch this. To all who are victorious, who obey me to the very end, to them I will give authority over all the nations. They will rule the nations with, iron, with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. And they will have the same authority I received from my Father, and I will also give them the morning star. Anyone with ears to hear, 
must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for the baptisms and for the families that are here today. I just ask your blessings upon each of us as we open your word. Most of all, Father, I pray that you are glorified and that we draw closer to you and that Holy Spirit speaks to us, speaks to each of us, and we need to hear, and we hear what we need to hear from you, Lord. I pray, God, that every word that's said is glorifies you, and I pray for the gift of preaching. And I ask all of this in the precious name of Jesus and everybody together said, amen. I, uh, I am 59 years old, I think, or I'm getting close to it, and I say that. But here's the thing I want to tell you. In my lifetime, I can name four or five times when I have seen a self-proclaimed prophet come forward in our society, and it turned into tragedy. And today what we're going to be looking at is a very similar thing without the tragedy in the moment of the time. But uh, there's a prophetess that comes into the church at Thyatira. You know, it's not uncommon for us to see these kinds of things. And uh, unfortunately, history and headlines reveal how true it can be that people teach falsehoods. Can I get an amen? There is truth and there's false. And uh, when we see these false prophets and these false people that come up in the world, it's, it's very frustrating. And so we have to know the truth. William Barclay said, of all bad men, religious men are the worst. And it's true. When somebody takes the gospel message and and takes it and and destroys it and and comes out with untruths about it. And Jesus uh, is, is the truth. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. As a kid, when I was growing up, I had mentors in my life. Growing up in the church, there were men that I, that I respected, and they, and they taught me the truths of the Bible, and they taught me the truths of Jesus. And one thing they never did was they never put themselves on a pedestal. That's a, that's a sign when somebody does that, that they're pointing to, you to them instead of to Jesus. And so we need to watch ourselves, and there is truth, and where do we find this truth? I believe that we find it in the Word. And that's why we're looking at this book of Revelation. I think I told you before, I've had people go, you're preaching out of the book of Revelation? Are you kidding me? That scares me to death. Well, you know, it's part of the Bible. And, and here's the beauty of it. It, it actually says, blessed is the, are those who read these words and keep them. So it's part of the Bible and it's part of some truth and instruction that we have. So we're looking at this church of Thyatira, okay? Today we look at this and here's the deal. It's the smallest church that we're looking at. It's the longest letter that was written to the churches, and it was the one with the least amount of persecution. Now, that's kind of odd, isn't it? You would think with it being the smallest, but it was the smallest church facing the least persecution, but it was the longest letter. Perhaps it's because this topic that he's addressing, and the topic that he's addressing is falsehoods. False doctrines. As we read this, I want to remind you that it's written in apocalyptic literature that perhaps might not resonate with us as much as it did with them because of the times that they lived in. Uh, we should remember that the Christians, we are to discern truth. And I believe that we be- what we believe truly impacts our lives. Thyatira was a military post. Pull that white map up for me, will you? There you go. So Paul's on this island. And we started uh, this sermon series with Ephesus, and then we went up to Smyrna, and then we're up to Pergamon. Now we're coming back to Thyatira. Thyatira was located in a valley. We have to understand the culture of this city. It was located in a valley, and in the Roman Empire, it was a strategic place. It was a military location. And what went through here, uh, passed through here, was a lot of industry. This place was known because they produced bronze. They also had linen places, wool factories and things like that. They didn't call them factories, but they were places where they worked. Now, here's an interesting thing. All these people worked. There were a lot of things going on. In their jobs, now get this, in their jobs where they worked, 
in the trades that they were in, whether it was the bronze trade, the wool trade, the linen trade, they had these groups called guilds. And they would have these meetings because of their jobs, and they'd go to these meetings, and they'd go sit down. How many of you have ever been to a meeting where you work? And so you know how that goes. Well, after the meeting, they had a god, a pagan god that they worshipped, and they would pull that out, and everybody had to worship this pagan god, and they have a little service. Wow, how strange is that? We've never had to do that here, have we? I've never had to do that. And so what happened is these Christians, as they were followers of Christ, they realized that that there was a compromise that was going to have to take place if they were going to do this. And many of them walked away from their jobs and left. So it's to this backdrop that he's writing. There's a lady in the book of Acts, chapter 16, verse 14. Her name is Lydia. And Lydia is mentioned because she was a maker of purple dye, and she was from this city. Paul was preaching the gospel, and she accepted the Lord And they started a church in her home. Now let's go back and look at this passage of Scripture and see what it says here. Verse 18, it says, This is the message from the Son of God, whose eyes are like flames of fire and whose feet are like polished bronze. Kind of interesting, huh? Now let's think about their culture. They're in a culture where they make bronze. They're in a culture where there's flames, where they purify the bronze. They get this. It resonates with them. They understand. In fact, they knew exactly what he was talking about. Flames of fire and feet are like polished bronze. The words of Jesus resonated both with the Jews and the Gentiles. Thyatira recognized it because of their industry. They knew what he was talking about, that fire and flame, they could see this. The Jews recognized it because there's a similar story in the book of Daniel. Same kind of statue. Same sort of thing with a little variation, but they understood it too. And here's the point. Eyes like fire, Jesus sees and he knows all. And that's what he's telling them. That Jesus can refine us like fine metal. He took a pagan concept and he brought truth to it. Somebody say amen. That's really good right there. Because you see, Jesus is the only one that can purify us. The blood of Jesus changes us. Feet like brass, they recognize that he was stable. Other kingdoms come and go. But the kingdom of God will never fade. And that's what Jesus is doing. He takes this concept and he proclaims his deity among men. There was a conflict for Christians and letting them know that Jesus was the son of God and that that kingdom would stand forever was encouraging to them because their jobs and everything around them was at stake. Their livelihoods were infiltrated with paganism to the point that they felt they had to choose. Notice what he says next. And I love this part. I know all the things that you do. I've seen your love, your faith, your service, and your patient endurance. And I can see your constant improvement in all these things. Isn't that just like Jesus? Isn't that just like Jesus to start with compassion? To start with compassion with some folks who, who were in a situation that wasn't, it was less than perfect, it was less than desirable, but he started with compassion and he recognized the good things that we were doing. You know why he did that? Because Jesus loves you, loved them. He loves people, and he loves you. Notice he starts by encouraging words. He was motivated by love. And sometimes when we go to people, do we start with encouragement, or do we start breaking it down? Come on. Do we start with encouragement? I mean, if we truly have the love of Jesus, isn't that what we're supposed to do? If we truly have that motive in our heart. And aren't you glad that somebody started with you with loving words? Jesus sets an example to this church. What they were doing and what they were permitting, they were beginning to compromise. I don't know about you guys, but I've compromised in my life. 
at times. And it starts about like this. And the next thing you know, you're like, eh, it's okay. It's, it's, it's. And the next thing you know, you're like over here. And it's like, oh, how'd that happen? Just a little bit at a time. And so he understands this. But that's the story of the message of the gospel, and it's called grace. Somebody say amen. And he's telling them, I know the good things that you've done, and I see the constant improvement that you're making. But there's a couple things we need to address. The possession of a virtue, if we love each other, can only be proved by our, a life that fits that. And i got to tell you, sometimes church folks are the worst for being compassionate. Come on. We should start from the motive of love. And when we come to help someone, we should do it with love. This opening verse is interesting. This is a letter that gives warning and it gives criticism, yet it begins with words of praise. William Barclay, one of my favorite writers, says that real criticism must always encourage and never discourage. I had the privilege to sit under a very intelligent theology professor when I was in college, and, and he said to us one time, he was from Mississippi, and he said, boys and girls, I want to tell you this, don't ever tear somebody else's religion down unless you have something better to replace it with, and no matter what you do, always be redemptive in your actions because that's what Jesus did. And so many times, I think, you know, in the world of religions, we see, you know, people tearing each other down. Jesus loved, and he gave correction in a loving way. When I give words of correction, am I doing it because I like the person, or am I doing it because I dislike them? You catch that? When we give words of correction, what's our motive? Yeah, think about that. Jesus didn't like, he loved them. And that's where he came from. We should operate from the motive of love. Jesus saw the point that his church had made the compromise. He didn't see them as useless, but he saw them as useful. And that's the way he sees you today. You may be here today and your heart may be breaking. You may be hurting. You may be having things going on in your life, and I suspect that there probably is. But I want to tell you something. Jesus sees you as useful. We should celebrate that. And he saw this church. He saw the people in this church that way. When we look at this example, what can we take away from it? Our motives with each other should always be coming from love. Always coming from love. Look at the next part, verse 20 and 21. I have this complaint against you. You are permitting that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. I don't know of anybody in this society that's named Jezebel. It's not a real common name that I hear people naming their kids, right? Jezebel. I mean, we all kind of have some knowledge of this. And if you go back in the Old Testament, where the name comes from is out of 1 Kings in the Old Testament. There was a king there, and his name was Ahab. And Ahab was the, the king, and, and, and he lived in this place, in his palace, and, and he had all these prophets around him. And, and one day he sees this lady, and, and she was called Jezebel. One problem with this woman, she worshiped pagan gods. She didn't follow the God of Israel. She worshiped pagan gods. And so what does he do? He brings her into the castle. And guess what she brought with her? Pagan gods. And so the next thing you know, these prophets of, of Israel, there's a hundred of them. Man, they're running every which way because she's put out this order to go after them, and, and they're hiding. And, and so you get the gist of what a Jezebel, what that means, right? And she was also, in this worship that she was in, it was, it, was, it was actually involving some very, very bad things, immoral things. 
And so he's talking about this, that this lady had come into this church, I use that term loosely, had come into this church and was preaching this message and sharing it among the church, and they were listening. And he's telling them to turn from that. Look what he says, I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to turn away from her immorality. Isn't that just like Jesus? Isn't that just, and aren't you glad, aren't you glad that the Lord allows us to have the repentance option? The greatest blessing, one of the greatest blessings is that we can repent. You know what that means? Repent means this. It means I go over here and I repent. I look to the Lord and I say, God, I'm sorry. I am truly sorry for what I have done. And repent means that I turn. See, there's a difference between that and going like this and going, God, I'm sorry I got caught. Because what happens when that, you just keep going, right? But when we repent, when we truly are sorry in our hearts, we turn. And God gives us the power to do that. And I'm grateful for that. The idea that she was teaching was, was evil uh, doctrine. And she was teaching this thing. And, and it had already been addressed, the, the concepts. If you go back in the book of Acts chapter 15... There was a topic there that was going on, and they were talking about eating this meat that was offered unto idols. They would kill an animal, and it was offered to pagan idols, and they would, then they would eat the meat. And, and they were saying, you can't do that as a Christian. You know, there are some things as Christians that are wrong. <laughs> There's a long discussion by the elders in Jerusalem about this, and they said, stop it. They hadn't been instructed. They knew what they were doing. And so he's telling them that this woman is teaching this in the church, and it's contrary to the doctrine of the church. Don't get me wrong, we should respect others, but we shouldn't tolerate unbiblical teaching in our church. The lifestyle of Christ, as his followers, reflects the lifestyle of Jesus. They were loving, and they were faithful, and they were proving. That's what it says. But they were letting this lady teach false doctrine in the church. And he refers to her as Jezebel. He goes on to say that if you let her continue doing this, that everything, the people that follow her, referenced as her children, will be destroyed. And she was destroyed. And even the one in the Old Testament, 1 Kings, she was destroyed. Eventually, it ran its course. And so we see that there's no, no good in those kinds of things. And the bottom line here is this person was teaching false doctrine, and God was calling them out for it. Jesus was addressing it and telling them to address it. How can we know something is not true or that a person is a false prophet? How can we know that? Well, we can know by does it line up with the word? You know, as I was reading this, it occurred to me that there's some things in this passage of Scripture that, that kind of tells us how we can spot a false prophet. Did you catch those? Watch this. Look at this. In verse 21, or when we go up here, it says, it says that she, uh, she calls herself a prophet. She calls her, she's a self-proclaimed prophet. And you know what, that's what these, these prophets, that's what they love. They love authority and they love titles. The second thing is they refuse correction. It says, I have given her time to repent, but she's unwilling. You want to see somebody that's a false prophet? They're doing something wrong and you call them out on it and they don't repent? They keep preaching the wrong thing? Second thing is I've given her time to repent. Third thing is they claim a secret teaching which is not found in the scripture. Think about it. I find it interesting that we as humans love the word secret, don't we? If I come over and say, hey, I got a secret, Carl. I Googled it, and in Amazon, there's like 36,180 books with the word secret in the title. It's a great marketing thing to use. 
It's, constant, it's a consistent thing with the Bible, the truths that we should be hearing. And I believe that when people embrace spiritual darkness, it's not because that they're willing, it's because they would only embrace Jesus. He said, I'm the light of the world. And we can know that God allows us freedom to choose. Now, I know this isn't a popular message today, but it's truth. It's what was going on in the church at Thyatira. It was what was happening in Thyatira. And Jesus was telling them to turn. Now, here's the deal. When we look at the scriptures, we have to look at them in the context. And that's why I think so many people get hung up when they read this book. And I've said this every week, and I'm going to keep saying it. If I were to pick up a book at the library this week and rent it and take it home, would I open it up and start reading the last chapter first? I could do that, but I might not be able to get all the details of what's in the rest of it. And so that's why it's so important that we understand the backdrops of these churches and what was going on in the culture that they were living in. And that's what he's talking about as he says these things about flames of fire and feet of brass. But here's the thing. The theme of this is the theme of the whole book. And that's that God loves us. And that his grace is sufficient for us. He's talking about this Jezebel, and he's telling her to, mind, to turn, to make her mind up different and to go a different way to turn. Notice what he says, I've given her. You see, God is patient, not willing that anyone should perish. The Bible teaches that, says that. God is patient, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance to him. How many is all? It's like a lot, right? Yeah. He came for people to be saved. And I believe, personally, I believe that's why he hasn't come back yet. I believe he wants as many as he can to come to him. Notice the pattern. He praises this church in this letter. Then he inserts the judgment. And then he again ends by praising the church. Look at what he says. It comes down to this point. If you're not following this false prophet, stay the course. Keep your eyes on Jesus. We mustn't complicate the faith. Here's another sign of a false prophet in this world, you guys. Jesus plus doctrine. It's Jesus plus this. You ever hear that? Jesus plus that. Paul said, don't complicate this. He warned the church over and over. It's Jesus plus nothing. He is the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God. And by him, we are saved. Don't compromise that. And that's what he's telling them. And it's so easy to get caught up in this. How can we, what are some of the ways we compromise? I don't know about you, but sometimes in my thought processes, I begin to compromise, thinking, well, you know, maybe that's how it starts. And so this letter is written as a warning to us. Look what else he says to those who stay the course in verse 25. I also have a message for the rest of you in Thyatira, not to follow this false teaching. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking. We got any of that in the world today? Do we have any of that in the world today? High-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world? Look what he says, rather than from Christ. Jesus is, is telling us to love each other. He's telling us to preach a message of love. Here's the deal. When we do this, we can be victorious, and we will be victorious through him. These folks are doing good, except for discerning this false teaching, and he's giving them instruction. The question becomes, are you tolerant or are you judgmental? I, I love this phrase. Don't judge me. 
You ever hear that today in this age? Don't judge me. Or are we tolerant? It's a question. They dealt with it. Mankind is always dealing with it. And here's the thing. As Christians and as this church, you notice he didn't tell them to move out of this pagan city. He didn't tell them to pack up everything they had and go live over here in another day and isolate themselves. He didn't say that. He tells them to stay the course. And so we are in the world as Christians, but we're not of this world. And Jesus tells us to love. And when we approach things and we come up on things, there's a couple ways we can approach it when we're talking about compromise or accepting. We can be legalistic. (laughs) None of that in religion, is there? We can walk around like the Pharisees and have our 600 plus rules and say, you're not like me and you you don't agree with me, so that's, you know, different. I'm not accepting. That's, you know, judge, throw rocks, stones, cast stones, that kind of thing. Or... We can be, oh, everything's cool, everything's great. We can all love each other and just, you know, just get along and don't upset my world. I won't upset yours and everybody's happy. And, or perhaps we could be like Jesus and have grace and truth and love. That's what he taught. He didn't tell them to go burn the other temples down. He didn't tell them to to go out and and hurt other people. No. He told them to love. And the word that he uses is agape love. That's a love that says, I I love you. Doesn't necessarily mean that I agree or you agree with me on everything, but that means I love you. What a concept. You think that'll work? I do, and here's why. Now you think about this. A man walked among us, Jesus the Christ. He called 12 common people, and he started a movement. And this movement flourished. Do you know why? Because they loved and they preached the gospel of love. And this message went through all of this. This is just one little snippet of history. Constantly. But it was a movement It was called the ecclesia, and it was motivated by love, Kyle. It was because they loved Jesus, they wanted to share this message. And it was real. People realized that. You know, people know when you're being real. Come on. That's one thing I know that's happening in this world today. People get when you're real. We can talk about it until the cows come home. You know, I can tell you I love you and all and blah, blah, blah. What am I doing about it? Am I showing it to you? Truth plus grace. Jesus addresses, in fact, he addresses how we're to address each other. If you want to read about that, go into Romans 14. Because we could go around this room, and it's a pretty good-sized room, pretty good crowd of people. I suspect that we wouldn't all agree on every little single thing. We are Baptists, you know. And, and, and so there are things that, that we disagree on. That, that, you know, right? But let me tell you something we cannot disagree on, and that's, that's who Jesus Christ is. That's the core of our message. And that's what he's talking about. And so when we go out into the world, even when we teach and preach that, we should share it in love. Because that's what he did. And that's how he taught this message. We go on in the passage of Scripture and we look, and he says here at the very end of it, it's a beautiful thing, to all those who are victorious who obey me. Oh, yeah, obey him. That means when he calls you to do something, do it. When he leads you to do something, do it. 
follow his guidance. Let the Holy Spirit speak to us. He says, I will give authority over all the nations. They will rule the nations with an iron rod and smash them with clay pots. They understood this. The culture understood this. They knew what it was like when a clay pot broke. I don't know what that's like. I don't have clay pots in my house. But I do have dishes that I've broke occasionally. It's kind of hard to break one of them Tupperware bowls. That's what I use most of the time. But they understood this. They understood this. And he tells them the victory is coming. Stay the course. I want to tell you today, I want you to hear me. I want you to hear this if you don't hear anything else. Stay the course of the gospel message. There's a light at the end, and it's Jesus. And that's the story from the beginning to the concordance in here. That's the story. It hasn't changed. People talk about these mysteries in this book. It hasn't changed. The story's the same. He's the one that, that was, that is, and is to come. And he wins. And he takes you and I with him as his followers. And then this last part of this verse, I love this. He says, they will give the same, they will be given the same, they will receive the same authority I received from my father. Jesus is talking. Um, and I will also give them the morning star. Now, I'm a musician, was, have been. And I got to tell you something, the morning was not my thing. Unless it was two in the morning. So, what does that mean? The morning star. I, I don't get that. What does that mean? Well, in their culture, they understood this. Remember all these pagan gods and things that they had for everything? There was this, this pagan god, and they created it in the Roman government, and uh, they called her Venus. She was a goddess, actually, a female. And they called her the morning star, and that's what they would receive. Jesus takes what they know, and he reflects and re-aims it into the divinity of himself. He says, they will receive the morning star, which means we will be in his presence. That's exciting stuff. And so the message is not some great enlightening thing. It is great and enlightening, but it's not something that we haven't heard or something. It's not something new. And that is that as Christians, we are to be the church. We are to be the movement in the world that reflects the love of Jesus. Just like they were being encouraged. Don't compromise on your beliefs. Go forward, love each other, and proclaim the gospel message by his help. He didn't tell them to burn down the temples. He didn't tell them to criticize. He, didn't he said, love each other. Love each other and be his church. You see, as Christians, we propose. We're not supposed to impose. And my belief is this message is the same to us today as it was to this church. One of not, let's not compromise. But let's go forward in the power and the blood of Jesus and in his love and share that message. I got to tell you, I was sick this week when I saw the news. Absolutely broke my heart. And I know it did you too. If ever there was a time that we need the message of love of Jesus in this world, it's now. And so it's so important for us in this county when we give money and we put it in the plates and we do this, it, it helps this church in this county, but it also helps around the world, the gospel message. That's why it's important that we give of our resources, that we give of what the talents that God's given us and that we do everything we can to spread the gospel message and be a part of the movement of the church called the ecclesia. You see, it's not enough in my mind for us just to go to church 
Because you can do that. You can come in here and sit, and I can go sit in the car in the garage, you know, and don't make me a car. <laughs> don't just go to church. Let's go be the church with God's help. Amen? Amen. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this letter that was sent to this church. Thank you for the truths that are in this letter, the truths about compromise. And God, I pray that you give us strength, each one of us, to overcome those opportunities when it is to compromise. And Father, I pray that you lead us, help us as leaders of the church, as part of the movement, that we would keep our eyes upon you and stay focused on what it is that you want to accomplish on this campus, Lord. I thank you for each person that's here today. I pray that we be encouraged by the message of hope that we find in Jesus the message that gives hope to the world in a time when things can be so uh, stirring and troubling, Lord. It's nothing new. We see it as we read these stories in the Bible, but we see the light, and that light is in Jesus. And so, Father, help us to be barriers of light, servants of love. Give us grace and mercy to carry that out. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. This is a time in our service where we... We have a time of commitment. It's a time where we open an invitation, if you will. Maybe you would like to come and pray. The altar is open. We have deacons that will pray with you. I'll pray with you. You can pray right where you're at, actually, too, obviously. This is a time where we just stop for a moment. and Just let the Lord speak to our hearts. Maybe you're here today and, and you're a Christ follower. And you're with your family and, and the Lord's leading you maybe to take communion. If you're a believer,